John, chapter 8, verses 31 to 59, and we're on page 1074. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my words. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they explained, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, 
Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to throw him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. Jay, thanks for stepping in and reading at short notice. Wow, this is loud, isn't it? Can you turn it down a bit because it's really echoing? Thank you. Um, This passage contains some of the most offensive things that Jesus ever said. If you think of him as simply gentle Jesus, meek and mild and inoffensive, maybe even ineffectual kind of religious mystic, then John chapter 8 will come as a big surprise. And it's especially shocking that he was speaking to people who had believed in him. Did you notice that? At the beginning of the reading, the first verse, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said these things. And the words were so shocking that by the end of the passage, these believers picked up stones to stone him, to kill him. What was so offensive in Jesus' words? And and which side of the debate will we ourselves end up on? Sometimes issues are so stark, so important, that we have to decide whether we're with Jesus or against him. No middle grounds. And it all starts with another of Jesus' big, bold claims. Do you remember that through chapters 6, 7 and 8 of John's Gospel, Jesus has been making a series of big, bold claims about himself. Uh, First of all, in the wilderness, where he fed uh, 5,000 men. And then at the Feast of Tabernacles, that commemorated the Israelites' journey in the wilderness at the time of the Exodus. Chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He said, the manna come down from heaven to keep God's people going through the wilderness. Chapter 7, let everyone who's thirsty come to me. The miraculous water that God brought from a rock in the desert. Last week, I am the light of the world, like the blazing pillar of fire that God's people followed through the wilderness to the promised land. And where I go, you cannot come. You will die in your sin. Like the wilderness generation, the Jewish religious establishment of Jesus' day would not enter the promised land of heaven. Today we get to the last of the big, bold claims in this section. As Jesus opens in verse 31, do you see down there? We're on page 1074. He says, if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples, verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I've summarised it in my own words. You can fill in the gaps on your handout as we go along. I've summarised it as abide in my words to be truly free. I've said abide in my words because the language that Jesus uses is a bit richer and a bit deeper than simply hold to my teaching. The word abide 
is a key word in John's gospel. It's going to come up again in chapter 15 as he talks about abiding in or remaining in the vine. Maybe you know that passage. It's all over John's letters later on in the New Testament. Here in chapter 8, it conveys more than just obeying Jesus' teaching. It's not just an outward formal obedience, keeping the rules. It's clinging to basing your whole life on, not letting go of Jesus' word. Abide in my words, he says. Live them, eat them, breathe them. And it is words rather than just teaching. The Greek word there is logos. It sends us back to the beginning of John's gospel, where famously it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God's. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He is the word of God. The word become flesh. And so if we abide in his word, actually it's singular in verse 31, we're profoundly united with him and therefore we enjoy the freedom and blessing of relationship with God himself. That promise of freedom might sound great to us. I hope it does. We'll look at it a bit more in a minute. But actually it was offensive to Jesus' hearers. Remember, they were the proud Jewish establishment in Jerusalem. Jesus, to them, was an upstart preacher from the northern badlands. And yet he's saying that they need to come to him to find true freedom. It's no wonder they said in verse 33, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? This really sets up the theme of the whole of the rest of the chapter. The contrast is between slaves and sons. Do you see what Jesus says in verse 35? He says, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. He says son, by the way, because he's particularly referring to bloodline inheritance, which in those days went through the male line. In the next verse, he refers to himself as the son. But of course, women are fully included in these promises as equals. But the contrast is between slaves and sons. The Jewish people proudly claim to be descended from Abraham and never slaves of anyone. God's promises were made right back in Genesis chapter 12 to bless the descendants of Abraham. And the whole of the rest of the Bible after Genesis 12 is really the story of how the promise to bless Abraham's descendants would be fulfilled. And Jewish people still today claim that promise on the basis of genetic descent from Abraham. But Jesus says there's a problem. And the problem is that they, in common with all of humanity, 
are actually not sons, but slaves. Look down at verse 34. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Here's a profound truth. Maybe you've come across it in Paul's letters in the New Testament, but he got it from Jesus. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Do you ever sin? Then you're a slave. And by the way, the Bible says we do all sin. We can't help it. The world today tells us that we should follow the desires of our hearts. In fact, we're told that it would be wrong, it would be harmful to repress our desires. We're told that freedom means being free to follow our desires wherever they lead, so long as it's with the consent of everyone involved. But Jesus says that there are such things as wrong desires, distorted unhealthy desires and if we indulge those wrong desires we don't find freedom we find slavery and ultimately death christianity might look from the outside like constraint and repression even slavery but true freedom doesn't mean doing whatever we want that way actually enslaves us to our desires True freedom is freedom from ourselves. Freedom from being curved in on our own selfish desires and instead being free to love God and love others as God always intended. Do you know that freedom? Do you want to know that freedom? The chapter continues with a bitter debate about who are the true sons of God. Is it the Jewish religious establishment who proudly claim genetic descent from Abraham? Or is it Jesus, the son, and therefore is freedom of sonship found by abiding in Jesus and his word? The Jewish leaders claim in verse 39, Abraham is our father. But Jesus shockingly makes a counterclaim. He says that actually they're sons of the devil. It's quite a claim, isn't it? You can see why they were so offended. But let's look at his evidence. Let's pick up halfway through verse 39 at the top of that second column on page 1074. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Back in his day, of course, they didn't have um, DNA testing to see uh, who your true father was. Um, You knew who someone's father was by whether they did the same thing, whether you were a chip off the old block. But they aren't doing what Abraham did. Verse 40, as it is, says Jesus, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I hear from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. What does does he mean? 
Who is it who would try to kill him? Well, he spells it out in one of the most shocking verses of the whole Bible, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil was represented by the snake right back at the beginning. When God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he told them that they were free to eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they ate from that one tree, they would surely die. And the devil, Satan, the snake, do you remember, he persuaded them of the murderous lie, you will not surely die. And so they ate. Jesus says that Satan's descendants are those who are resisting the truth he's speaking, the life that he's offering, and instead want to kill him, the true son. There are three world religions today that claim the promises to Abraham. The Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Jesus says that the true heirs of Abraham are those who are united with the true son of God. We need to abide in his word if we are truly to be his disciples and to enjoy the freedom of the blessings of Abraham. Now, wonderfully, there are many ethnically Jewish people, even some in our own church, who have come to Jesus the Son to receive life. They are the true Jews. But many, sadly, remain estranged from Jesus. They are slaves rather than sons. And Jesus describes them in verse 44 with words... I wouldn't dare use. Many Muslim people, or Muslim people similarly, claim to be descended from Abraham. More than that, they claim Jesus as a prophet. If you talk to Muslim friends, they will say, yes, we believe in Jesus. He's a great prophet, the greatest until Muhammad. But just like the Jews who believed in Jesus at the start of our passage today, they don't actually listen to and believe what he says. And actually around the world, some of them attack and kill followers of Jesus. And so they too show their true parentage. There are others actually who sidestep the whole question of uh, uh, parentage through Abraham and uh, these people claim that we are all sons and daughters of God just by being human. But what does Jesus say in verse 42? He says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Here's the test of a true child of God, according to the son of God. If God were your father, you would love me, he says. 
Where do you stand with Jesus? Not just a holy man, a prophet, a good role model, but he says he's the one sent from God to rescue us from slavery to our selfish desires and to bring us the true freedom of the promised land of heaven in the Father's presence for eternity. Is this the Jesus you believe in? Do you abide in his word? Struck me as I was preparing this, that there might be some who are listening today who are starting to question whether you are a Christian according to Christ's own definition after all. And that could be a first step to going back to the basics and actually coming into the faith as Christ himself defined it. I could almost stop there. But the debate goes on. Jesus has offensively questioned their own parentage. Now they try to turn the tables. They're still hung up on the genetic descent from Abraham. They think of themselves as the pedigrees and they try to paint Jesus as a mongrel. In fact, a demonic mongrel. Verse 48. They say to him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? They're returning to a line of attack that keeps coming up in John's Gospel. We saw it in the home groups last week, came up again at the end of chapter 7. Doesn't Jesus come from Nazareth in Galilee? Not the Jewish heartlands around Jerusalem. If he can do mighty miracles, then it must be with the power of the devil. But Jesus says no. Rather than being a son of the devil like them, leading to murder and lies, he says he is the son of God, life giver and truth teller. The lies of the devil lead to death, and for some they lead to trying to kill Jesus and his followers. Listening to and following Jesus, by contrast, leads to life. He says in verse 51, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my words will never see death. He is the life giver and the truth teller. His hearers pick up particularly on this promise of life, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And they say, verse 52, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than your father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Is Jesus claiming to be greater than Abraham who died? Yes. Yes, he is. Verse 56. He says to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham... 
Verse 58, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. One of the most important sentences, two of the most important words that have ever been spoken. Before Abraham was, I am. He doesn't say, I was. It's not that there was some sense in which he pre-existed, that he's the reincarnation of some character from primeval history. No, he uses the present tense, I am. It recalls the statement made about him at the start of John's Gospel. I've mentioned it already. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus always has been and Jesus always is. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that his bold statement before Abraham was, I am echoes God's revelation of himself to Moses at the burning bush in the desert. Exodus chapter 3, the Lord said, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Next time someone says to you that Jesus never claimed to be God, will you take them to John chapter 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am his hearers, the Jewish religious establishment, they were in no doubt as to what he was claiming. What did they do? They picked up stones to stone him, the punishment for blasphemy. The very shocking thing to remember is where we started in verse 31. These were the Jews who had believed in him. Goodness me, what about the Jews who hadn't believed in him? What would they be doing? Now, I think we'd have wanted to bank that profession of faith, wouldn't we? If I'd been writing John's Gospel, I'd have stopped at verse 30. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Hallelujah! Fill the baptism pool. They've believed. But Jesus sees men's hearts. His aim is not to win a simple profession of faith. I've prayed the prayer. I call myself a Christian. I believe in Jesus. No, he wants to push us further. He says, do you really believe? The hard truth is that many who say they believe in Jesus, not only the Muslims who say he's a prophet, even those who call themselves Christians, many turn out actually to be his enemies. Slaves to sin, following the devil's lies. And ultimately they would murder him if they could. Often they do murder him in how they misrepresent him and how they co-opt him to justify their sin in how they use his name to attack the truth. More on that next week.
Jesus pushes, pushes, pushes those who seem to believe in him to sort true faith from false. He says they want to kill him. And by the end of our passage, he's proved right. Who are the true disciples and how can we make sure that we are true disciples? Well, it's where he started, isn't it? Verses 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Are you abiding in his word? Listening to what he really said rather than the lies people tell about him. Listening to those he appointed to record and broadcast his word after he had gone. Someone told me just this past week that she was baptised and confirmed as a child, taken to confession with the priest, but never once was shown what the Bible said. We call ourselves at St Anne's a genuinely mixed East End church with a passion for straightforward Bible teaching. That second half is really important. It's not just that we like reading. It's not just that we're more comfortable with a Bible in our hands um, rather than with the holy mysteries or with our hands in the air or whatever. No, it's because we're convinced that when we really listen to Jesus in his words, we find truth and life and freedom. That's why you, when you come into St Anne's on a Sunday morning, the very first thing we do, in addition to saying good morning, is hand you a Bible. Because this is where the power lies. This is where truth and freedom and life are found. Not in this, not in this, not in anything else that goes on here. It's, it's in the Word. What does it look like to abide in Jesus' words? Just some quick thoughts. It means getting into the Bible. It's hard to say we're abiding in Jesus' word if we never open it from one Sunday to the next. Join a small group during the week, that Christianity Explored course, if you're just starting out, or one of the home groups that have just started studying John, or another group at a time and place that works for you. And get into the Bible in your own time, whether that's through listening to the Bible on Audible or on a Bible gateway, or uh, reading it. We've got a couple of copies of this great little booklet called Time with God to help you get into uh, the routine of reading a little bit of the Bible for yourself each day and some notes to guide you. There are two copies, I think. There's one on the bookstall and there's one here. If um, both of them go this morning, see Sarah and she'd be delighted to order some more in um, for you. But it's not just studying the Bible, it's following it. It's following Jesus even when he disagrees with us. That's when you know that you're really abiding in the word. It's when you see that it says something that's painful, that costs you something 
to follow that makes you change your mind, in fact, change your life to conform to it. Putting his word into practice and making hard choices, especially when our sinful desires and the world and even other apparent Christians are ganged up against us. Let me read verse 31 again, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you abide in my word, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for that blessed freedom of being drawn to you to enjoy your presence in your place for eternity, to enjoy life to the full through the Son, Jesus Christ. Please show us, our Father, where our faith is false, where we're believing what the world says or what our sinful desires say or what even false believers are saying rather than listening to Jesus. Our Father, strip away those wrong things. Give us hearts that are ready to hear what Jesus is saying to put it into practice and to enjoy true freedom. In Jesus' powerful name we pray.